Hello, I'm Elliot Knight, Director of the Alabama State Council on the Arts. Welcome to Alabama Arts Radio. Each week, Council staff will introduce you to exceptional artists and special people who make the arts happen in Alabama. Alabama Arts Radio features the visual, performing, literary, and folk arts that contribute to our state's rich cultural heritage. Join us each Wednesday at 9 p.m. Central to explore the diverse and dynamic arts landscape in Alabama. Today we are joined by Alabama visual artist Christopher Boyd Taylor. Chris Boyd Taylor has fine art degrees from The Ohio State University, the New York College of Ceramics at Alfred University, craft, scale, color, movement, architecture, spectatorship, anthropomorphism, and interpersonal relationships make up the principal interests in his studio practice. He is currently creating work in direct response to travels he took throughout the southeastern United States documenting venues of spectatorship. Chris has several permanent art commissions, including at the Pablo Neruda Plaza, the Montevideo Uruguay, and the Cardboard Kids at Austin P. State University in Clarksville, Tennessee. In 2013, he was named an Emerging Art Fellow at Socrates Sculpture Park in Queens, New York. He is a current fellow in the visual arts with the Alabama State Council on the Arts. Thank you for joining us today, Chris. Let's begin by having you share a little bit about your background. I'm Chris Taylor. I've been in Alabama for seven years. I was hired on to teach at the University of Alabama in Huntsville to run the sculpture area in the art history and design department at UH. I am originally from the state of Ohio, where I always dabbled in art in one way or another. Found myself at a big public institution called Ohio State, where I started out in architecture and really loved studio classes in architecture. Wasn't a fan as much of the uh, physics classes and the, the engineering that went behind some of those classes. And actually, while I was in architecture school, ended up taking a sculpture class uh, with an artist named Malcolm Cochran, who in Ohio is a kind of a known public artist. And I knew some of his works from growing up in the state of Ohio. Kind of figured out that there could be a pretty cool career path of being a full-time sculptor slash educator. So uh, decided to make the plunge and become a full-time artist. At that time, a BFA sculpture major and ended up going to graduate school at a little school called Alfred University in upstate New York. If for Alabama and Auburn, it's all about football. For Alfred, it's all about art. So um, it was a cool place to be. Weekends are uh, big because of gallery openings, not football games. So that's where I studied. And I would say Ohio State really valued craft, but probably more so valued concept. And Alfred traditionally is kind of a craft place. It's uh, they're actually the New York State College of Ceramics, but I had a lot of really good faculty there that pushed concept as well. So both places had this kind of play between craft and concept and ended up uh, pursuing a teaching career and uh, a couple years later ended up in Huntsville. So uh, I have a uh, family here. I have a, a 12-year-old and a 4-year-old and they're actually joining me today. 
here in Montgomery. We took the trip down as uh, my wife, she's a, a medical interpreter at the hospital, so she's working today. And uh, so that's that's what we do. I, I teach sculpture, I make sculpture, and my family is along for the ride a lot of times. So it's a lot of fun. It's really delightful to get to see somebody bringing up the next generation of curious minds. And it's also just great to have kids around the office for the day. Sure. <laughs> Some much needed joy and enthusiasm. Well, I'm glad they're welcome. That's, that's great. <laughs> Who has influenced you throughout your career? Well, I would say first and foremost, as an educator, my students have certainly influenced me. I think about my students more than I think about my own work and how to motivate them and other influences. I mentioned Malcolm Cochran. He's kind of been my mentor over the years, and I always look back to some of the first foundational kind of questions he asked of his classes and of me and kind of principles that he guided himself by in object making. And then I kind of have my Mount Rushmore of artists that that are influences for me, artists like Martin Purrier, uh, Alexander Calder, Lee Bontecu are artists that you know I'm I'm always kind of thinking about like what would they do or where do they take their work so yeah I would say those are my my biggest influences those are some heavy hitters for sure for sure <laughs> I was reading your artist statement and I'm going to quote you here I was just really intrigued by the idea uh, and you said in quote the work I create comes from a fascination with the transformative power of the places where we reside and the memories and the imagination they elicit, end quote. Could you please speak to our viewers a little bit more about that creative process and the imagined spaces you create? Sure. You know, the environments that we build say a lot about us. I was just looking at your, your guys' offices here, and each one's a little different. And one has a sign, do not clean the space, which is pretty awesome. I've walked into spaces like that that might have, you know, their creativity in a in of a sense as well, right? A process of years and years of books and, and but but basically objects and specifically spaces tell a lot about the inhabitants of those spaces. And so I, I find that those spaces, the objects, those are artifacts, right? Modern day artifacts. And a lot of times in my work, you'll see that the figure is absent, and that's by design, kind of establishing a set of ingredients that kind of become a, a crime scene. What, who lives here? What happened here? Not really a crime scene, but just a, an opportunity for the viewer to investigate the work and really place themselves in the work. That's the idea. It's an empty chair that Goldilocks can try out, right? So that's by design as well. I want the viewer to be a participant in that space. Generally what happens is people see the, some of the ingredients in the work and they will, I say ingredients, objects, uh, architecture, color, and they will resonate with at some level with it and it will take them to a place. And that's the magic moment, right? Where they're transformed into a different place. Painters are great at doing that. Sculptors are catching up. But this idea of getting the viewer to kind of transform into the window of a painting or or this environment of a space and be transformed. Maybe I like to use nostalgia sometimes in my work, but but yeah, that's that's the idea there. Of the empty arena that you can walk into and feel like you're in a stadium. You're the protagonist of the stadium or the, the center centerpiece. Oh, that's fascinating. I like that a lot. 
kind of speaking about that stadium space, this is a good segue to ask about the state of Alabama. So how has moving to Alabama changed your practice or way of looking at the world? Well, I was really excited to move to Alabama when I got the teaching job at UAH. UAH is a research institution, and for an, an artist like myself, that means they want me to be producing work. My graduate work was all about the intersect between spectatorship in like sports as well as spectatorship in religion and the kind of parallels that follow a sort of tribalism or, you know, this is my team, this is my flag. In some ways, I think our culture is, in some cases, replacing one for the other. And so there's this, you know, I really like the term roll tide. I've learned that it is such a layered term and has so many meanings and people use it in so many different ways. I feel like someone could probably write a book about the word roll tide and, and the layered way it's used. But in some instances, it's used almost like an amen, like an affirmative when, you know, someone is approving of of an act, right? So I love that intersect. Growing up, I'd go to Ohio State f- football games and Ohio State Buckeye fans are just about as crazy as Alabama or, or Auburn fans. And the alma mater at at Ohio State is actually a hymn, and a hymn that we would sing at the church that I grew up going to. So Saturdays, I'd go to the football stadium. We'd sing this alma mater. You'd see grown men crying to this alma mater. It was like their religious experience. And then you'd go on Sunday, and people were having not the same experience, but there were there were certainly ingredients that crossed over. Right. So I was excited to go to another state and a, and a place where I think that sport, specifically football, is valued very highly, but also people are still deeply religious. And so I was excited to kind of bring those interests that I already had coming from graduate school and coming from my up- upbringing. It just it was a good environment for me to come to and segue well into the type of work I wanted to make and the type of creative research I wanted to pursue. Awesome. I actually had Roll Tide set at my wedding instead of Amen, I think, <laughs> <laughs> or in addition to the Amen. Yeah, so, you, you, you know, go. I'm with you on that. Did your work change at all after you moved? I think your work's always changing. I mean, mine certainly is. I think I got a little ADD in me or something. I, I have trouble maybe sticking to a really narrow aesthetic you know, you can see that the work connects, but I treat each sculpture as kind of its own separate meal. So the work is always changing. The way it's changed here in, in Alabama is letting the environment affect the work. So the work that is in the exhibition that we we're installing right now is a piece that is inspired by a color pattern that you see a lot at racetracks and you see at the Superdome in New Orleans. And it's this multicolored, staggering pattern that they use to trick TV viewership into thinking that there's actually people in the stadium. So when a camera pans, it looks like the stadium is full, right? I've been tricked. <laughs> yeah. So you've, you've probably seen a game at the Superdome. There was actually a, a, a bowl game a couple years ago. It was Georgia versus somebody in the stadium was not even half full and the camera pan and it looked like it was full and Talladega is a really good example a big part of Talladega stadium has that checkered colored pattern red white and blue I like the idea of those colored swatches being a proxy for the people right in the stadium and that was something that resonated with my work 
And so I started incorporating that pattern into a lot of the work that I'm making now. So we were talking about the stadium sphere piece. It's a like six foot steel sphere that's kind of corrugated and it has that same red, white, and blue Talladega sort of pattern. And so just kind of letting your environment be an influence for your work. I'm bringing my sensibilities that are mine from, you know, from my growing up, but the letting the environment, you know, really be a player in the work is important. I would have never developed that pattern. When I first got to Alabama, I got a grant to travel the Southeast and document that there was like four or five trips going in different direction around the Southeast, looking at stadiums and racetracks. And that's where that influence came from, going to a place like Talladega or the Superdome and seeing that and letting that influence the work. So absolutely it's changed and it's always evolving and continues to inspire, right? So you spoke about stadiums and you spoke about the University of Georgia. So that brings me to my next question. Could you speak about your experiences with the stands, a solo exhibition that you had at the University of Georgia? That was an exhibition. And honestly, I'd like to do another solo exhibition, hopefully in the state of Alabama as kind of a follow-up to this fellowship. You know, and and the nice thing about that exhibition is I had like a year and a half, two years to prep for it. So I was really able to do some modeling of the space, think about how I wanted to approach the space after that first series of travels, probably a year, year after I'd finished those travels. So a lot of photography was involved in that kind of displaying and over the the development of that work. And really after about the first trip, I kind of narrowed in on some things that I felt were important about the photography I was doing at the time. And that carries over into the photography I brought today is some very frontal and formal, I almost treat these photographs like drawings, but kind of head-on photography of these, a lot of times visitor stands, because the visitor stands are, they're not cared for as well, you know? And so um, they're kind of these raggedy line drawings And normally they have a really interesting landscape behind it. It's some overgrowth or sometimes it's really beautiful landscaping. Sometimes the, these, I call them line drawings, the visitor stands are made from cinder blocks and two by fours and they're painted white. So it's kind of more of like a white line drawing. Sometimes it's all welded steel. So it's just a thin line drawing that's kind of placed on top of this landscape. So there's this real good balance between this geometry with the organic behind it. And so that became a focus and is still still a focus. And so for that exhibition, a lot of photography and then um, work that I had been working on for two years. The stands, the exhibition was named after a piece in the show called The Stands. And that was a piece inspired by a lot of those racetracks and had that staggered checkered pattern. That piece took couple years to make. Everything's really, really tight and it's like an architectural model of a one section of a stadium stand. The piece I brought today is, is a, a section of a stadium and much more quickly built. The essential elements are still there, the color and the, the angle and, and things. But yeah, so that show in Georgia was really focused on a culmination of those travels and it was just a good kind of milestone. I'm excited to, you know, show these photographs here. And then um, I'm excited to do another kind of solo exhibition at some point that 
really kind of closes that chapter of all those photographs and potentially, you know, maybe put together some sort of publication that it just compiles all those photographs in one binding would be nice. How has the fellowship year gone for you? You've kind of had a red letter one with COVID and everything else Mm. going on. You know, my trajectory with it has been to the mission of, for me, was to continue documenting, but now have a narrow focus, which is the state of Alabama. And I found some tricks to find the best visitor stands. The best visitor stands are generally not in the the well-to-do neighborhoods. They're generally not in the, the super nice suburbs. They're actually not even in the nice county high schools because the county high schools normally have up-to-date stadiums and everything. It's normally at middle schools, which used to be high schools, and they kept their football stadiums because the middle school teams play there, but they're old high school stadiums. So I found that that, that's the sweet spot for these cool visitor stands and these cool line drawings, right? These dilapidated football stadiums. Some of them aren't even used. They're just kind of just left to disappear, right? So it was kind of a perfect thing to have to be doing during COVID because being outside by myself, no one's at these places, photographing these locations, it was it was great. So it worked out, it worked out fine. Did you learn anything about yourself this past year or your art? I'm at a stage right now where UAH has said, we'd like to keep you for a while. And so, you know, the last seven years has been a real kind of a rat race, you know, you're trying to make as much work as you can. And that's healthy because you're really pushing out ideas, right? Some of them are good ideas. Some of them are so-so. Sometimes they're all over the place. This last year, I've really been in a focus on things that I think have some legs and have some opportunity to grow. And I think what I've learned just what what's most important to me, like what are those key things? Learn to kind of have some balance. Learn to stay stay true to what I'm about as an artist, where maybe previously a couple years ago I was in some ways more of a risk taker, but now I'm kind of getting comfortable with a couple of places where I'm taking my work and really excited about where that could go. So it sounds like you're kind of editing a little bit about yeah, what I'll, you're taking on. Absolutely. I don't feel like I have to say yes to every opportunity. And I don't feel like I need to, you know, make too many compromises to the work where before, well, sometimes you really want this gig or you really want this public art opportunity. And so you start changing your work and it doesn't maybe necessarily fit into what's core about what you do. Mm-hmm. And in just little ways that maybe other people wouldn't, wouldn't see or understand, but I certainly recognize it. That's a wonderful thing to kind of catch and and work on, which brings me really to my next question. What advice do you have for your students or for emerging artists about kind of getting started and learning how to edit like you did? Well, I would say at a young stage, maybe you know exactly where you're at. And I think it is important to try to find some consistency and find some continuity in your work. As a young artist, you're developing a portfolio. And that portfolio, I I find, is the most important thing, followed by relationships that you build with other people. But in getting you into the door for a show or getting you into graduate school, getting you into some sort of exhibition, whatever it might be. So working on that portfolio is, is essential. I think it's important to, at a young stage, still be at the top of the funnel and be experimental 
and learn skills, try a lot of different things. And then, you know, over time, you'll kind of narrow into what you're really good at, what you love doing, what you can stay up till three or four in the morning doing without even knowing the time passed, right? And I think it's also important to just be yourself, right? I think, you know, across the board, artists, musicians sometimes might follow a fad. By the time you catch that fad, that fad will be out of style. So don't don't try to follow fads. Be yourself. Find artists. It can be artists from the 50s, from the from the 60s. It can be Renaissance. Whatever your interest is, is and own that. Dive into it because that to me is authentic. When you're paving your path and diving into your interests, you're being yourself as opposed to kind of trying to be a crowd pleaser. You know, just be authentic in doing the work that you're really interested in. And over time, it'll come through, right? That authenticity will come through in the work. And then the other advice I give to my students is work your butt off. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, if you're going to decide to be an artist, fantastic. It's wonderful. But you're going to have to sacrifice and you're going to have to work your tail off because there's a lot of great artists in the state of Alabama that might want it worse than you do, you know. So it is a competitive thing out there and I would just enjoy it, but also work at it. It's artwork. So it's got, it's got that work word in there and you'll get success from that. The work that you put in the work as viewers, we will see that work. Not that everything has to be labor intensive. Sometimes the work is research based or it's it, it came with years of tinkering and and fiddling and then the idea seems simple but the work is still there thank you so much for joining us today chris if our viewers would like to learn more about you your work or where they might see your work next where should they go oh that's a good question you should follow me on instagram that's the best way it's at chris boyd taylor if you just do that on instagram you can follow me i show my whole process in there so if it's kind of a storytelling opportunity for me where the, let me make sure I'm giving you the right handle. I think it's at Chris Boyd Taylor. Or if you just look up Chris Boyd Taylor on Instagram. But I I go through, you know, I don't tell you exactly what I'm making, but I show you little snippets of the whole process. So I just finished a piece at the Botanical Gardens in Huntsville. And you can see from step one all the way to finish how I was making the piece. So that's how you can kind of see what the next piece I'm working on is and that's where I do my storytelling and you can also visit walkingcubes.com that's just my online portfolio it's always up to date but I don't really have a like a news feed or anything like that what's coming next the best way is Instagram that's the way I update people I like the intrigue that you you plugged in your Instagram so our viewers will definitely have to pull out their phones and find you immediately absolutely yeah <laughs> all right well thank you again for joining us today yes thank you for having me Chris's work will be on display at the Georgine Clark Alabama Artist Gallery in Montgomery through October 30th, 2021. The gallery is free and open to the public Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, or by appointment. Alabama Arts comes to you from the Alabama State Council on the Arts and the Alabama Center for Traditional Culture. Technical production by Deb Boykin. Series theme music, The Bounds of Beauty, written and performed by Scooter Muse.
This week on Alabama Arts, Amy Jenkins talks with Chris Boyd Taylor, recipient of a 2021 fellowship in visual arts from the Alabama State Council on the Arts. This idea of getting the viewer to kind of transform into the window of a painting or, or this environment of a space and be transformed, maybe, but yeah, that's, that's the idea there. That's Wednesday, 9 p.m. Central on Troy Public Radio. Tonight on Alabama Arts, Amy Jenkins talks with Chris Boyd-Taylor, recipient of a 2021 Fellowship in Visual Arts from the Alabama State Council on the Arts. I want the viewer to be a participant in that space. Generally what happens is people see the, some of the ingredients in the work and they will, I say ingredients, objects, uh, architecture, color, and they will resonate with, at some level with it and it will take them to a place. And that's the magic moment, right, where they're transformed into a different place. Painters are great at doing that. Sculptors are catching up. But this idea of getting the viewer to kind of transform into the window of a painting or, or this environment of a space and be transformed. Maybe I like to use nostalgia sometimes in my work, but, but yeah, that's, that's the idea there. The empty arena that you can walk into and feel like you're in a stadium. You're the protagonist of the stadium or the... But first, the news. <laughs> 